The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're uh, working our way through speaking the truth in love as Paul here um, helps us to apply the idea that we're, we live differently now that we're in Christ, that we receive the grace of Christ, that we know the victory of Christ, and we know that we are chosen, we're adopted, we're redeemed, we, we have an inheritance, and, and so we live in ways that are different to show off the grace of Christ and to, show, and to share that grace with one another. And I don't know about you, but I I hate to lose. How many of you hate to lose? Just curious here. You can raise your hands. It's, it's okay. We're all in this together. Not, not everybody obviously hates to lose, but a lot of people hate to lose, right? Uh, and, and once you're a parent, then sometimes you uh, take on your kids' losses and victories as well, right? So my son, Tad, is out of these high school soccer, and uh, they played Bondurant Farrar, which some of you go to school at, and, uh, and they, played, they played each other in soccer, two undefeated teams going against one another. And, uh, and at, in, in the last three minutes of the game, Bondurant Farrar scored and beat Gilbert one to nothing, okay? It was, actually, I was glad, and it was one side of me that was glad, right, because I didn't want it to go, because in soccer, if, you, if you're tied, you don't just you have to go to overtime, and if that doesn't work, then you go to penalty kicks, and I was like, I don't really want to stay here for another 45 minutes, you know what I mean? Uh, just being honest, but so I was hoping we won, and they lost, you know, that was what I was hoping for, but when, when you lose, right, uh, there's, there's a side of which you get angry, right? There's, you can get angry when you, when you lose, right, because like Bondurant Farrar is like 800 students and, and Gilbert's like 400 students. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, let's just blame the size of the schools and the way it's, Iowa does, you know, its, it's class system. Or, or you could be like, man, as a coach, a soccer coach, I, I was sitting there analyzing like how I would have reformed the formation of the team in order to maybe win the game, you know. But like we can, you can do a lot of different things when you're angry in order to make it better, right? Or to at least salve your anger and get, calm yourself down. Um, and, and when we come to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, Paul is talking about, hey, you've, you're, you're a different group of people as believers in Christ, as called out by, by God to be uh, this, this new body of Christ, this new home for God, where, where you have uh, new, new ways of dealing with things. Can, can you see that the, he's bringing in together Jews and Gentiles into one body? And traditionally, the Jews despised the Gentiles, right? They thought of them as worthless. They didn't have God's word. They didn't have the law. They didn't have, uh, they didn't live right, you know? And and so you have two people coming together that often despised one another, that had different standards for how they do things and how they operate and how they live. And, and it's a recipe that's ripe for anger to be present. And Paul here is encouraging them, now that you're in Christ, he doesn't say, don't be angry. He says, be angry and don't sin. And so as we get into the, this, um, this text this morning, 
the big idea that I want to get across here this morning is that the normal way we show off Christ's victory with one another is not by letting anger divide us, but instead by being committed to not sinning. So that's just kind of where we go. It's the normal way we operate as, as believers in Christ to show off the victory, to show off the grace that we've received from Christ is not by letting anger divide us. Notice what he says here, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. And I'm in Galatians there. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26. He says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, again, he's, it's still in the same pattern that's coming out of the previous paragraph where he's saying, put off the old man with its deceitful, corrupt desires that are destroying you and, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed according to what God has done and then operate according to that. Put on, like new clothes, so to speak, the, this new creation that you are in Christ. And so... Um, he, this time around, he doesn't start off with a put off. He starts off with a put on, be angry and do not sin. That's actually what he's saying. Is he, it's two commands. It's be angry. <laughs> There's a lot of things to be angry about that are worth being angry about. It's okay. It's good to be angry about those things in that sense. But don't sin is what he's going to say. But the negative side of that, he's saying put off. The thing that we're supposed to put off is he says, don't let the sun go down on your ass. So again, the big idea, the normal way... We show off Christ's victory with one another this is by not letting anger divide us, but by working toward peace. This is the normal way that we operate. So the first point is don't let the sun go down on your anger. Can you, you, can, you can imagine the way this worked, right, previous to Christ coming in. The Jews would live amongst the Gentiles, and they would be like, oh, these stupid Gentiles. They never give us time off for Sabbath. And they're always bothering us. And they live like they, they, they have no fear of God. They have no honor. And, and, they, and they can think back over years, right, of the different ways that they've been offended by Gentiles and the different ways the Gentiles have cheated them or different ways that, that maybe they've been hurt by the Gentiles. And, and this would be the way they just normally operate. They would, they would stew over these problems that have happened in the past, and they would allow those, those, that, that anger to fester and to warn them against trusting or being loving toward any Gentile, right? Gentiles would do it to Jews, right? Anti-Semitism isn't something that's new, right? And so the world is not that much different today, is it? Gentiles hating Jews, Jews hating Gentiles. In fact, he's saying here, in a sense, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. He's saying, don't nurse your grievances, is maybe another way of putting it. Don't stew your anger into bitterness, right? It's like you get, your, get something that's angry and you just kind of stew it. You bring, like, what can I add to this recipe, right? And I get it going and I, and I keep adding things to it because, man, if I can just all bring it together, then it'll... And it, what it turns into, if you stew anger, it turns into bitterness, right? It turns into this hard-hearted, like, negative attitude that's like, I've got to do something about this. I can't let this go. That's not just a problem, Jews and Gentiles-wise. It's also just a problem in general in our society, right? We live in a world that's, 
You might call it plastic in the sense that you can form it to however you want. You've got your phone, right? You've got uh, technology. You can, you can say, well, I don't really want to. They have stuff out today that, you know, if you could pay for it, you would buy it, right? Like, I don't want to do laundry. Well, they've got stuff that will actually do your laundry and then, you know, steam your laundry and then fold your laundry for you and it comes out, right? Like, there's this technology, I don't, I don't want to do dishes. Well, just throw them in the dishwasher, right? Like, if the things that you don't want to do, you can kind of push to the, 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 the edges of your life and you can kind of make your life into what you want, to, want it to be. You can form your life into what you want it to be. Now, and we've taken that as a society overall, we've taken that not only about our lives, the environment of our lives, but, but we've applied it in that sense to ourselves, to our identities, to who we think we are. And we have, in a sense, plastic identities that I can, I can mold into what I want it to be. If I want to be a certain kind of way, or act a certain kind of way, or do, do certain things, this is, this is who I am, right? Have you ever heard anyone say that? This is who I am. And, and we, in a sense, we, we say to ourselves, I want to mold myself into what I am going to make myself to be. The reality of that, then, is that when you're going against ultimate reality, that is, you're trying to form yourself into something that's not ultimate, you have to have something that keeps that form there. You have to have something that will keep the drive to say, I'm going to keep holding myself in this in this identity. I've got to keep holding myself in this life. I've got to keep holding myself here. And the thing that most people use is outrage, is anger, right? Because anger will drive you forward. It will drive you to say, this is who I must be. And you can say, well, when you talk about social media as a whole, one of, the, one of the functions of social media that's negative in that sense, right, is it drives outrage. It drives this outrage. Why? Because we, we have to have this general idea that there's things we've got to fight to prove that I am right and that the way I live and who I am is okay, right? That's, that's what, it, it's one of the functions. There's some good functions for social media, but that's one of the negative functions. And you could actually argue that did, uh, did this come because of social media, or did, did, did social media arise as a function of, I, I need to stay angry here. I need to stay engaged. I need to stay fighting for what's right. And fighting for what, what's right isn't bad. Again, Paul says here, be angry. <laughs> like, there are some things that are worth being angry about. But he also says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. He's saying, don't let it, in a sense, last too long. Deal with it. Don't sit here and nurse your grievances, nurse your grudges, stew your anger into bitterness. Don't live a life of outrage, in other words. Now, we're going to get into it a little bit later, but there, sometimes if you're going through premarital counseling, the, the, the counselor and I have even done it with premarital counseling, they don't go to bed angry, which is overall good advice. I will caveat that after 20 years or so of being married. If something happens at 9 o'clock in the evening that gets someone, one of you angry, the better thing to do is go to bed and then solve it in the morning. You know what I mean? Because usually you're just tired at 9 o'clock in the evening. 
But the point is here when he says, don't go, don't let the sun go down on your anger, is he's saying, hey, don't, don't let these things stew. Don't let them just, just hang on. Don't keep nursing them. And the reason why, the, the thing that we should renew our mind about in regards to anger is he says, don't give an opportunity to the devil. Here's what he's saying, renew your mind about this. He's saying, don't you understand that you live, you, you know now, you know you now that you live in an ultimate battle. Whereas before, Jew or Gentile, you might have thought, well, I'm just obeying God as a Jew or a Gentile. I'm just living however I want to live. Now you know that Christ came, he died on a cross to rescue us from sin and death and to destroy the works of the devil, right? You know this now. You know that the devil exists, that he's real, that he's seeking to destroy you and others. You're, you're in, a, in, a, in, a, in a cosmic battle, as it were. And, and if you're going to, you can't ignore that battle. You can't be like, oh, that battle doesn't matter. No, you're in the midst of it. And especially when you have, you're tempted to use anger in inappropriate ways, you're definitely in the midst of that battle. And the thing you need to remember is that Christ has won the victory, Right? He's won the victory. And in fact, this is the context of Ephesians chapter 4, why he's talking about grace. Just go back up a few verses, right? Just a few verses. Verse 7, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led host, a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, that is, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. He's talking about the victory that Christ has won. And he's saying Christ has won a cosmic, ultimate victory. Not just a temporary victory over sin and death in the first century, but a cosmic, ultimate victory over death forever. For, over evil forever. And yes, it's not fully realized yet, but he has won the victory he has ascended to the right hand of his Father to one day rule over everything, to rule and reign, and to set everything right. This is the victory that Christ has won. We just sang about it, right? Oh, death, where is your sting? Right? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Christ has risen from the dead. And if that's true, then we are in, in a sense, the mop-up campaign of Christ over sin and death. We are called to be reconcilers, right? To bring peace. To say, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to one another. There is peace with God. There is peace with one another. And if we let our anger control us, what we're in a sense saying is that the victory that Christ has won is something that's not sufficient. That I have to solve my problems myself. The biggest temptation anger brings is to not trust God and delight in God's justice and God's plan. That's the biggest temptation anger brings. You're getting angry. You're like, there's something that needs to be solved. There's an injustice that needs to get, whether it's my injustice to me or injustice to someone else, I want it solved. 
Well, can you trust God's plan for that? God's justice over that, right? And we know, therefore, the devil's strategies, right? First Peter gives us maybe more insight or at least more detail. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, and if, you, if you watch lions, what, what they do is they put the, the weak lion, the old lion, he's the one roaring and driving everyone toward all the hidden lions who are hanging out waiting for the animals to show up, right? It's a, it's a modern version of a, a drive, right? We do it in Iowa, right? We get a line of guys that kind of walk the woods. If you want to hear a funny story about walking the woods and not shooting a deer, you talk to Nate Teed. Who, who had a deer in his sights, but didn't have a bullet in his gun. <laughs> but but that's, that's what we do in Iowa, right? We, we, we drive deer, and then we shoot them. But it, in, 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 uh, lions do the same thing, right? It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, pours around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. All right? Uh, so you're saying God, the devil has strategies. The, what's the biggest strategy the devil has, right? To divide and conquer. Drives a wedge in. Divide conquer in detail, right? And Paul, or Peter here references the same victory that, that Paul's referencing too. He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Christ has won the victory. So, so for us, to step in and say, well, I'm going to take my anger and do my justice. I'm going to do my plan. I'm going to do what I think is best. He's saying, wait a second, you're, you're stepping into the devil's trap. He wants to divide and conquer. <laughs> don't, don't give the devil an opportunity by sitting there and stewing on your grievances, driving yourself to a bitterness, saying, I've, well, I've got to get what, what's good for me. You're in a cosmic battle. Don't give in to that. But because we know Christ's love, we know Christ's victory, we can, we can live in that victory. Now you say, just, just for a second, I'm going to, how, do you, how practically do you renew your mind this way? Well, practically, you have to spend some time reveling in Christ's victory, okay? You have to spend some time resting in Christ's victory, the, the, the Old Testament concept for this was the Sabbath, you know? They, they spent time, one day a week, they spent time just resting in the fact that God created the world, that he made it, that it's his world, that we live in it, and we rejoice in, I mean, the Jews were, def, were doing two things, rejoicing in God's creation and rejoicing in Christ's victory, or God's victory over Egypt, right? That they were free now. They didn't have to work seven days a week. And I'm not suggesting that you have to take 24 hours and say, okay, I'm going to do this necessarily, although it's not necessarily a bad idea. What I am suggesting is that you take some time. 
Here's, here's my suggestion. Take two hours and don't do work. Do something that you can enjoy and rest in God about. This is harder than you think because, because you, you tend to try to think, well, I've got to be productive. I've got to do something or uh, I've got to, I've got to, uh, no, just find, it's a little challenging because you've got to think something that you enjoy doing that will help you focus on God, okay? Help you enjoy, enjoy doing that says, okay, this is good. Maybe it's a walk, okay, where you just notice creation. You're not, your brain's not thinking about all the things you got to do next week. It's just noticing the creation that's around you as you walk. Or, or maybe it's being in God's Word and just rest, reading it sometime, meditating on it, just taking time. Not, not saying, oh, I've got 15 minutes, i got to get done. But just taking a couple of hours and just stopping what you're doing and reflecting on what God has done for you and who God is and the victory that Christ has won in your life. It's actually not easy to do. I, I tried to do it this week, and I found myself doing everything else. You know what I mean? Like, ooh, I, I'm a little, I don't know, a little ADD, I don't know. I'm just like, ooh, distraction, boom, over here. You know what I mean? But, but, but one of the ways that you renew your mind in this way is you revel in the victory that Christ has won for you. And if you never do that, you're going to end up angry. Because you're always going to be fighting for the victory you think needs to be won. And you're going to forget the victory that Christ has won on your behalf. And so, just a challenge uh, to spend a little time. Isaiah puts it this way. Isaiah 58, 13 says, If you turn your back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call my Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways and seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. He's just saying, hey, if we just stop, if we just stop doing our own thing all the time and thinking about our own things all the time and start thinking about what God has done, you will be blessed. God is not just interested in you doing good, 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 good. I mean, how many good things did you do this week? He's not necessarily keeping a tally. He is, but he's not, that's not the point. The point is, is he wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. And if you never revel in his victory, you're missing out. So renew your mind. Don't give, this is a way you can way you can remember that you're in this cosmic battle, but he has won the victory. And so when you're tempted to get angry, when you see injustice, you can at least be reminded, oh, Christ has won the victory. I, I don't have to trust my own attempts to solve this problem. Which brings us to the beginning admonition, be angry and do not sin. Now this is a quote from Psalm chapter 4, verse 4. All right? Paul is actually quoting the Psalms here, a, a, a Psalm by David, and the New Living Translation translates it this way. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Think about it overnight and remain silent. Selah. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. It's, now, 
the ESV translates it literally, don't, they say, be angry but don't sin, just like it does here. And, and the idea, it's, it's, it's ironic, right, because Paul then says, don't, you know, don't let the sun go down in your wrath. But Psalm 3 and 4 were probably both written when, when David had been driven out of uh, Jerusalem by Absalom, right? And he's in the middle of the night, awake in the middle of the night, kind of worried about things. And he's saying to himself, be angry and don't sin. Think about it overnight and remain silent. He's like, you don't need, you don't need to <laughs> say everything up front necessarily either is the point. I think if you combine these two ideas from Psalm 4, here's a, here's a contrasting idea of Micah chapter 2. It says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. Now, you say, what is it talking about here? One of the things we have to realize when they talk about being on your bed or, or this kind of thing is that the, the way their sleep patterns for uh, people pre-technology were different. Okay? Like, when it got dark, you went to bed, right? Now we turn on the lights, right? Stay up till 9 or 10 or 11 or midnight if you're a college student, and then go to bed, right? And try to wake up in the morning and, and make yourself function, right? But back then, when, when the sun went down, you went to bed, which, you know, could be 6, 7, 8, you know, could be... And, and therefore, you don't need that much sleep necessarily, so your body would wake up sometimes midnight, somewhere in there, and you would, you would be awake for maybe two hours in the, in the middle of the night when it was dark. You might light a lamp, you might do something, but, but then, and then you'd go to sleep again, and you'd wake up when the sun came up. And so you'd get eight, nine hours of sleep, no problem, but it, it, the pattern would be different, is the point. Now, most older people are like, well, that's the way I live now. You know, I go to bed, wake up in the middle of the night, go back to bed. I mean, I get it too. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there myself. And, and, the, and the point is, is that what do you do? What do you do when there's nothing to do? What do you do when there's nothing to do? He's, David is counseling himself here in a sense. Be angry and don't sin don't sit there and, 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 and try to solve all my problems right now. Think about it overnight. Be silent. Offer sacrifices in the right spirit and trust the Lord. Like, go to God with your problems as opposed to, Micah 2, woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. Like, they're sitting there, those two hours, and they're like, oh, I know how I'm going to get back to this guy tomorrow. We're gonna, it's, I'm going to make it right tomorrow. We're going to do this. It's going to go down tomorrow, right? I mean, that's, that's, you're, you're doing one of those two things, in a sense, when you're angry. And, and Dave, Paul here is saying the same thing as James in James chapter 1, where it says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let everyone be, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He's saying... He's saying, look, you've got to be careful in how you express anger. The way Paul is saying it here is he's saying, be angry and do not sin. He's like, the biggest thing you can do when you're angry is not solve the problem, is to recognize that you shouldn't sin. <laughs> that there's a bigger problem than you solving the injustices that you see in front of you. And it's that you don't sin, that you recognize that God is in charge of his universe. This is his universe, not yours. It's his kingdom, not yours. 
And the biggest thing you can do when you're angry is recognize that and say, oop, i got to be careful here. You notice the whole verse is negative, right? Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. They're all negative admonitions, so to speak, besides the first one, which is be angry. And he's saying, this just kind of, you just need to draw a line in the sand and tell yourself, look, there are problems. I see them. There are injustices. They're wrong. But I should not sin. This is God's universe. It's God's world. I live in it. As Romans 12 says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Be angry and don't sin. Philip Yancey was, tells a story about himself. He, was, uh, he had surgery on his foot. He says, while rehabilitating, I often did exercises that hurt because I knew that working through the soreness would allow my foot to regain its usefulness, right? Physical therapy, right? This is basically what he's doing. On the other hand, the surgeon warned against bicycling, mountain climbing, running, and other activities that might endanger the healing process. Basically, he says, anything that sounded fun, he vetoed. On one visit, I tried to talk him into granting me a premature golf match. Some friends, he says, get, or, get together once a year. It's important to me. I've been practicing my swing. If I only use my upper body and keep my legs and heels very still, could I join them? Can I do this? You know, what's the harm, right? Without a flicker of hesitation, he says, my doctor replied, it would make me very unhappy if you played golf within the next two months. Can you hear that from a doctor? It would make me very unhappy if you played golf within the next two months. I thought you were a golfer, I said, appealing to his sympathies. I am. That's how I know. You can't swing without rolling that foot inward and putting weight on the parts that are trying to heal. The point, Philip says, was obvious. My doctor has nothing against my playing golf. As a fellow golfer, he sympathizes with me, but he has my best interests at heart. It will indeed make him unhappy if I do something prematurely that might damage my long-term recovery. He wants me to play golf next year and the next and the rest of my life if I want to. As we talked, I began to appreciate my doctor's odd choice of words. If he had issued an edict, no golf, I might have stubbornly rebelled. He left me the free choice and expressed the consequences in a most personal way. Disobedience would grieve him, for his job was to restore my health. The role of a doctor may be the most revealing image in thinking about God and sin. What a doctor does for me physically, guide me toward health, God does for me spiritually. I am learning to view sins not as an arbitrary list of rules drawn up by a cranky judge, but rather as a list of dangers that must be avoided at all costs. Can I read that again? A list of dangers that must be avoided at all costs. Being angry is a good thing when it's appropriate. And Paul doesn't get into, okay, when do the Gentiles think it's appropriate? When do the Jews think it's appropriate? How, how are we all going to agree on these things? He just says, 
be angry, and don't sin. There's something bigger going on than you getting justice. It's God working in this world to heal this world and to set things right, ultimately. So, will you wait on God? Will you trust God? Will you seek what he wants you to do in the midst of injustice? This doesn't mean that you don't express your anger, okay? This doesn't mean that you don't go to someone and say, I think you've done something wrong against me, okay? Can I just, just walk through this a little bit? just to be practical and also to, to maybe create some wisdom in the scenario. Like, when I was growing up, the, the language often was, you've offended me, okay? You've sinned against me. Um, if you say that now, a lot of times people think, well, you're applying your arbitrary sense of morality to me, and, and I don't care, right? Now, oftentimes, people say, you've hurt me. It's, it's basically the same intent, but coming at it from an emotional standpoint. And if you're older, like me, I'm just going to bump myself in there, you hear, you've hurt me, you think, well, how sensitive are you? You know what I mean? Like, can't you be less sensitive and then you'd be okay? Um, and to both sides, I say, look at the heart of someone who's coming and saying that to you. They're saying there's a problem in their relationship. It's, it's broken at some level and it needs to be solved. And, and it's appropriate to go to someone and say, you've hurt me or, or you've offended me, and say, can we, can we resolve this relationship? I want to work it out. It's, it's good to say that in the right way, in the right time, in the right place, in the right attitude. It's, it's good to do that. I will warn you that just because you do that doesn't mean you will get a good response. Your... your uh, your attempt to solve the problem, especially if you're dealing with a wicked person, won't necessarily resolve it. Um, I was listening to a podcast this week, and he just pointed out, wicked people don't respond well when you say you're guilty. <laughs> they don't want to feel guilt. Proverbs 21, verse 10 says, The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. A wicked person, if you say you've hurt me, is going to be like, no, oh, that's your problem, not mine. You, you're, you're too sensitive. You're too this. You're, too, you, you, you're the one that's causing the problem. They, they, they have no compassion for someone. Uh, Proverbs 29, verse 7 says, A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. A wicked person doesn't look at other people and, and, and see their perspective, what their needs are in a situation. Proverbs 21, 29 says, A wicked man puts on a bold face, but the upright gives thought to his ways. A wicked person will act like, What's wrong? There's no big deal. A righteous person says, Maybe I did do something. Let's talk about it. What are you feeling? Why do you think that? Can, can, let's talk through it. You don't necessarily agree right away, but you, but you listen, and you're compassionate, right? D to be angry and don't sin, it means that sometimes you're going to have to say, you hurt me, you've offended me, I, I want to restore the relationship in the right way. Th that's, uh, just being honest, like I, I grew up 
uh, in a family where we didn't do that too often. You know, we just, we, we forgave one another and moved on and didn't really talk about anything. My wife grew up in a family where they talked about it a lot more. So, so we don't always line up when we're trying to work through things. But, but Paul's point here is not, okay, I'm going to side with those who don't talk to, very much or I'm going to side with those who talk a lot. The, his point is, you have a God in heaven who's won the victory for you, right? He's won the victory, and if you give in to your anger and do anger in your own ways, in the ways that you like to do anger, you're giving an opportunity to the devil rather than seeking to show off the victory that Christ has won. And we have an opportunity to participate in this cosmic victory that Christ has won, right? We have received grace. His mercy is there. And sometimes it means going to someone and saying, hey, let's, let's repair this relationship. Sometimes it means just, it says, love covers a multitude of sins. I'm just going to overlook this. It's no big deal. Let's just move on. But whatever it is, let's remember Christ has won the victory. He has conquered sin and death. He is going to set all evil in its place and work even good out of evil. This is what Christ and God has done in Christ. Let us revel in that. Let us live in that. Let us walk in that. And let us rest in that. Because we need that rest. We need that rest of knowing that I don't have to solve all the problems in the world. I don't have to live in outrage all my life. Because Christ has won a victory that I cannot win. <laughs> and he won it to welcome me into that rest. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder that we can speak the truth and love to one another and not live stewing in our anger nor solving uh, our anger our own ways, but resting in the victory that you have won, not giving the devil an opportunity where to divide and conquer and destroy people's lives because he is still in the process of doing that, but to... Rest in your victory. To remember that even when we, can get, when we get angry, we, we don't have to sin. But instead, we can do what you ask us to do. With wisdom, depending on the situation. And so we look to you. Help us to walk with you. Help us to live in your victory. In your son's name, amen.